If there is one thing that is incredibly clear about our Creator God, He doesn't want anybody stealing His glory. from Isaiah chapter 46 verses 9 and 10. Remember the former things of old for I am God and there is no other. I am God. There is none like me declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done saying my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Ladies and gentlemen, God doesn't want anybody getting the glory for his creation other than himself. I'm so glad you guys are joining me tonight. Shout out to our creation members out there. Thank you guys for being part of this awesome community where we're learning more about God's word and God's world and how these amazing things fit together. We've got a great conversation for you guys tonight designed to adapt. The original way we were created and designed uh, to actually adapt to environments is spectacular. Uh, I want to warn you guys up front, this is a little bit um, uh, cutting edge and controversial. So I need you to be aware of that, that this is something that's uh, a little bit on the controversial side. For those of you joining me on Facebook and on YouTube, thank you guys for hanging out. We certainly appreciate it. I think you're going to love this conversation. If you want to ask questions like our creation members can to our guest, who is Dr. Randy Galuza, go on over to creationtoday.org forward slash live and you can become a creation member, and you can interact with us as well. So uh, Gary, Diane, James, Kent, Stephen, Tom, uh, Brad, there's a bunch of you guys on here. Thank you guys for hanging out with me. Uh, so shout out to all of you guys, even those uh, I don't actually recognize. By the way, I made some videos for you guys this last week and uh, started sending those out today. So hope you're enjoying that. Uh, Dr. Randy Galuza is the president of the Institute for Creation Research. Their website is spectacular, absolutely amazing. They are always giving cutting edge uh, articles and information and doing the research, doing the scientific investigation to help you be able to merge God's word and God's world together, which is what we want to be able to do so that we can go out and influence others. Uh, he is um, he's just an amazing man who's accomplished a lot of different things. And I, I couldn't be more excited about the conversation we're going to have tonight. Like I said, it is a little bit controversial and I'll let him explain why it is, but uh, welcome to uh, tonight's conversation. Yes. Thank you so much for the invitation. It's really a pleasure to join you and all the crew and everybody you have on your staff. Thanks for the kind words about ICR. Uh, I, you guys are the pioneers, started off with Dr. Henry Morris, then uh, there's been several Morrises in charge, and now the first out of the family to be the president and leader. And I honestly, I couldn't think of a better individual that loves God, loves God's word, loves God's world, and brings them all together in such incredible, powerful presentations. So not just trying to toot your horn, I'm always blown away by, by what you guys accomplished. So thank well, you for that's, your dedication. Yeah, that's very kind of you. Very kind. The conversation tonight is designed to adapt. I remember you sitting in my living room and telling me about this idea that you had that maybe the people that have introduced natural selection are actually stealing glory from God. And that's what I want you to kind of bring up tonight. Can you can you give us a little bit of the history or 
and if you want to say anything about ICR first, by all means, please do by way of introduction. Uh, but and then I'd love to get into the history of this and then jump into this incredibly, I think, foundational concept. Yes, well, you you nailed ICR right on the head, so to speak. We are the foundational ministry, and we do a lot of the basic research that a lot of other creationist organizations do. And probably for the first 30 years or so of our existence, we, we focus primarily on geology because our founder, Dr. Henry Morris, wrote the Genesis Flood, which presented a, an alternative model to uniformitarianism to explain the geological phenomena that we see around us. And what was so powerful about it is that he presented a unified picture. He's saying, this is the explanation the evolutionists are giving you, but let me give you a better way to explain it. One that ties in all these different observations. Why are the layers flat? Why do you see billions of buried creatures in them? Why do you see these massive extensive coal scenes? I can give you one mechanism which ties everything together and makes a lot of sense, which was the worldwide flood. And why that took off is because instead of just pushing back against evolution and, and just leaving people say, well, what do you have in its place? He gave them something in its place, something that made a lot of sense and something that was biblically consistent. What we wanna do now is move to the area of biology. And we have a lot of biological observations. We'll cover some of them today. I've got some pictures on some things that we, I think people find kind of fascinating and give you one explanation that ties all these things together. So that's what we're doing. So really this is the cutting edge of, as biology developed, it really developed, um, or I guess I could say got hijacked by an evolutionary worldview where for years now, almost a century and a half, they've been trying to look at biology, trying to prove a model that excludes God, trying to prove an evolutionary model. And what you guys are doing now is saying, hold it, let's develop a model that starts with God. Is that a summary or a simplistic way yeah, of, of explaining that? That is. And, and basically, uh, you're right. Darwin hijacked biology. And most creationists don't even know how he hijacked biology. <laughs> And they don't know why he was hijacking biology. They think, well, he's here to explain the diversity of life on Earth. Wrong. Well, mm -hmm. he's here to explain how species come about. Wrong. Darwin came up with this theory for one thing and one thing only. That is to explain why creatures look so incredibly designed without appealing to a designer. That's what he's after because it's the design of creatures. It's the high engineering complexity of creatures that everybody can readily see. They see that creatures look engineered. And that is general revelation. That's what, as the Bible says, it's clearly seen. It shouts that there was a designer. So that's the 900 pound elephant in the room. Why do they look so designed? Why do birds look like they're designed to fly? Why do fish look like they're designed to go in the water? Why does this hand look so incredibly designed. And until you could get around this, this design, all the evolutionists were stumped. So Darwin tried to come up with a mechanism to explain the design. And that's what he, he really didn't succeed at, but that's what he was after. So he hijacks it and now we're taking it back and you're going after biology. If you think about the evolution worldview, that's kind of their number one field. And oh, 
I did. I really do believe that this is kind of controversial. Uh, can you can you start with a little bit of the why this is controversial and then launch? Yeah, it's 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 controversial because Darwin introduced a mechanism to act as a substitute agent, a substitute designer, and it's controversial because all creationists, including ICR, basically accepted his mechanism right from the get go, but said. It can't get you everything that you're claiming, Darwin. But the problem was, is we accepted his mechanism right from the beginning, and we were then saying it's limited. And, and you were right on in that passage that you read, it's because it's an idolatrous mechanism. It's like me saying this to you. Hey, do you believe in the golden calf? The golden calf, the golden calf isn't as powerful as Yahweh. It can't do everything it claims, but it can do some things. And even though I'm saying the golden calf is limited and the golden calf isn't as powerful as Yahweh, the moment I acknowledge the golden calf, I've lost the show. Wow. That's the point. That's what I'm saying is it, it, you can't just say the golden calf isn't as powerful. The golden calf can't do. The moment I acknowledge that the golden calf can do anything, I've, I'm, I've lost it. So, how do you get to this? And, 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 and by the way, you're Go saying the, gold, the golden calf, you're putting the crosshairs right on natural selection. Exactly. Why? Why am I putting the crosshairs on natural selection? Because nobody, in spite of what many of my colleagues might say, came up with natural selection before Darwin did. Everybody could see that creatures could make traits. And everybody could see that some of those traits solve environmental problems and that those organisms fit them. But nobody before Darwin was ascribing selective abilities to nature. That is the key. Because in order to explain this without a designer, you have to come up with a substitute designer. Well, this shows a lot of intelligence. This hand shows intelligence. So what Darwin did is he came up with an analogy, which is a totally illegitimate analogy. He said, well, look, human breeders can select for this trait and select for that trait. And within a short period of time, they can get all these different pigeons. And he was focusing on pigeons at the time. You can get all these different kinds of pigeons by just selecting for traits. What if nature is acting like a breeder and instead of acting on a short period of time, it acts on a really long period of time and nature is selecting traits? Well, that analogy is fundamentally flawed. Yeah. Human breeders have a real brain. Human breeders have real intelligence and human breeders have real volition. And in order to make a selection, you have to have volition and you have to have intelligence. So to compare nature, which unless you believe nature's like this Gaia type of thing that can actually act and operate and do that kind of stuff, nature does not have a brain. Nature cannot make selections. Nature does not have intelligence and nature does not have volition. But Darwin projects onto nature. He projects onto nature's selective ability. And when he projects onto nature's selective ability, he's projecting onto it by extension, intelligence and volition. And he projects onto it the ability to do things that a real intelligence can do. And here are the words that you find. Natural selection can favor. Natural selection can act on. Natural selection can work on. Natural selection can select. And 
every time you stick those verbs to it, you're ascribing these human-like or really God-like abilities to nature. Now, Paul spoke of this, believe it or not. He spoke of it all the way back in Romans chapter 1. And you know the passage where it says the invisible things of God are clearly seen being understood by the things he has made, literally his workmanship. You understand this by his workmanship. And then it goes on to say why people are rejecting this creator God. And then in verse 25, Paul says, and they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. You know what that literally means in the Greek? They exchanged the true for the false. The true, the true what? In context, the true creator God for the false, the false what? The false God. And then the very next phrase says, and they worshiped and served the creation more than the creator God, who is blessed forever. So you end up with this type of nature worship. Well, that's exactly where, where we are right now today. We start out with nature creating itself through the Big Bang, and then we start out with nature creating life, and then we start out with nature forming, shaping, molding life through its exercising of abilities to favor, act on, call, weed, whatever verb you put on it, you're ascribing these abilities to nature. So it's like I'm saying, hey, you know, the golden calf, it could, the golden calf can only select for a, for a few things. The golden calf can't do everything. It can only act on a few things. And it makes no difference whether you say it's natural selection, you know, it's real, but it can only do this. The moment you project onto nature the ability to act, weed on, and favor, you have projected onto it this God-like ability. And that's how Darwin explains the design in nature without appealing to a designer. He projects onto it intelligence, volition, and these abilities. And it, believe it or not, it's all mystical. It's all mystical. And that's why nobody can tell me what's selected. When I say, well, what's selected? Uh, is it the genes? Is it the organism? Is it the, is it the population? Nobody knows. You know why? Because nothing's really selected. And when I say, well, quantify a selection pressure, nobody can quantify a selection pressure. You know why? Because there's no real pressures. These things are just constructs that are imposed on that. I see creatures. I see some solve a problem. I say, I put these mystical abilities, nature favored those, nature acted on those. I'm saying that is fundamentally wrong. Wow. It's led us down the wrong path from the beginning. And what we need to now do is claim this back by, by looking at the innate abilities that the Lord Jesus Christ built into those creatures right from the beginning, enabling them to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth which is those innate abilities to solve the environmental challenges around them so that they can fill the earth. That's where we need to go back to the creature, back to the organism and leave this whole construct of this mystical ability of selection behind. Okay, Eric, here's a good one. You know, Darwin doesn't even mention evolution in the title of his book on the origin of species by means of natural selection. And then he gives the subtitle, the subtitle is misleading, it's circular, and it's mystical. The subtitle is, or the preservation of favored races in the struggle for life. Why is that mystical? When I, you know, we don't even think about it. If I were to ask you favored, 
the preservation of favored races, favored by what? Huh. Favored That's by what? Nice. Favored by nature. And why are they favored? It's because they're preserved. Well, how do you know they're preserved? It's because they were favored. <laughs> and it's well, a circular argument. It's totally circular. So it's, it's like everything in Darwinism. It's totally circular, their preservation, and it's mystical because they're favored. So he immediately introduces this mystical element that can do things to creatures like act on them, favor them, select. You know, I've gone through all those verbs there. So the subtitle, in my opinion, is letting the cat out of the bag in terms of all of these things. That is fascinating. I, here's the question for those of you watching. I want you to answer at the end of this. You're about to hear some amazing science and see some amazing things. I want you to answer this question. Have I unwittingly given credence to the golden calf, to natural selection? That's the I question did. you're going to need to answer. Dr. I can tell you, I did. I did. I did, I did too. Years. too. I have too. So... Take us on this journey to help us understand those of us that are like, no, I don't think I've ever done that. Uh, we might have done that. Can you take us on this journey? Sure. Let me take you down. Before I show you a few slides, let me just mention a couple of things. When it comes to natural selection, if you, if you listen to the evolutionists who actually deal in this field, all of them, the ones who really know what they're talking about, will tell you selection is an undefinable term. Uh, because one, you're applying selective abilities to nature. But if you listen to Doolittle or Michael Hodge or any of these historians, they'll say nobody can agree exactly on what natural selection is. Is it a concept? Is it a force? Is it a principle? Is it the cause? Is it the effect? What exactly is it? You know, they, they say nobody knows for sure. So it's an undefinable term, regardless of whether a dictionary tells you what it is or not. The people who are dealing in the field will tell you that it is an, it's, it's this concept. As I already mentioned earlier, you want to start a bar fight amongst evolutionists. I'll just say, hey, it's the genes that are selected. And the next <laughs> guy will say, no, 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 no. The genes can't be selected. It's always the individual. The next guy will say, no, no, no. Natural selection never works on an individual. It always works on populations. And other people will say, no, it's the gametes. Nobody knows. So it's, it's really hard to work with it. And so if I, and if I were to say, well, here's another bar fight. Death doesn't have to be involved in natural selection. And the next guy would say, no way. Death is an absolute prerequisite to natural selection. Unless something dies, nothing can get selected. And another guy would say, well, death is the selection event. You know, death is what's doing all the selecting. Of course, you and I know death is just death and it can't really select anything. So I'm trying to point out that the whole concept, when you go to nail it down, it's really, really wishy-washy. And probably one of the most perceptive statements was made by an intelligent design advocate. His name is William Dembski. I'm sure you've heard of him. Yes. Bill Dembski. In his book, The Design Revolution, on page 263, he has this great statement. He said, the word selection is tied to intelligence etymologically. In other words, the lek in select is like lig in intelligent, and they were linked. And they mean to choose or to select. And then he goes on to say, Darwin needed a designer substitute. He needed wow. something that could collate all these random changes and pull them together. 
And then he goes on to say he did this by projecting selective ability onto nature. And then he says, Darwin perpetuated the greatest intellectual swindle in the history of science. That's pretty much, I'm quoting it mostly verbatim. Nature has no intelligence, nature can't select. And you were swindled and I was swindled for a long time. But I think we can come up with a far, far better way of explaining some adaptation. Take us through this process because okay. what science has taught us recently and what we've learned has, for me, blown my mind when you, this stuff that you're talking about with epigenetics and the, the adaptation and why we adapt. And so, yes, I'm, I'm okay. ready. All right. Designed to adapt. I'm going to move this through really quickly because I know some of your people will be peeling off here in a few minutes. Really, I like the word engineered adaptability better than design because engineered is really taking us through the concept of what we're really seeing here. Now you recognize this guy, Paul Nelson. He came oh, up God. with this wonderful quote, we need to do biology as if Darwin had not been born, meaning leave the old behind, let the dead bury their dead, and let's move on to something completely fresh in terms of that. And our traditional approach, which I think is like an old shoe, is that we spend all of our time saying evolutionary explanations, well, they're inconsistent because he says, you know, numerous successive slight modifications, but it's irreducibly complex or it's insufficient because here's, an, here's a title you've seen all along, antis defy evolution on that, or it's incomplete. Evolutionary doesn't explain this or it doesn't explain that. And I could even throw in there inaccurate. So if you guys are taking note, that's inconsistent, insufficient, incomplete, and inaccurate. Well, it is all those things. There's no doubt about it. But rather than spending all of our time just punching holes in it, let's come up with something better. And ICR has developed a model to explain adaptation called continuous environmental tracking that says what creatures seem to be doing is tracking environmental changes and how they do it is through numerous mechanisms. And I'm expecting organisms to have corresponding elements to human engineered things because the, the basic premise or assumption is that biological functions, not life, but biological functions will be best explained by engineering principles. Biological functions will be best explained by engineering principles. Does that make sense biblically? You better believe it does. Because when I look at you, I'd say, Eric, what part on you was not engineered? <laughs> yeah. They and all were. Everything seems to be engineered. And you yeah, can't exactly. look at you can't look at a fallen if my eyes, you know, you're wearing glasses. I can't look at, well, you have to wear glasses, therefore the eye wasn't engineered, can I? No, no. You look at the fact that even even that car that I show you in the picture, it's gonna break in some way itself. And so I'm not asking your wife what part isn't engineered. I'm asking you. It's all <laughs> engineered. It's all engineered here. So I'm expecting these same elements to track environmental changes that you see in a man-made tracking system. And these are three elements. One, I'm expecting to see sensors which can detect what's happening in the environment. Two, I'm expecting to see logic centers built into creatures that say, if you detect this, then do that. And it can do different things. And I'm expecting to see self-adjusting or output capabilities. And you know what? All the way from the cellular level to the organismal level, we see sensors, logic, and output. And they're, you, they're being used by creatures to track changes 
just like a human tracking system would, would track all these changes. So what creatures seem to do, what they're doing is when the environment changes, they seem to be able to respond appropriately and they're doing it through not one, not two, but dozens of innate mechanisms which enable them to respond to different kinds of changes. And the way that we were taught in evolution is that we had these slow, gradual changes through random mutations and the like. Wrongo. If you read the literature today, these are the words on the screen that you see describing adaptation. Highly regulated, very rapid, often repeatable, sometimes even reversible, and with responses that are so targeted, they're even predictable. Now, when you see words like regulated, rapid, repeatable, and so on, you're seeing words which are indicative of an engineered system, a highly engineered system. That's how adaptation is being described in the literature today, not slow, gradual, and on and on. And here's another thing we're seeing. Just like an engineer would build this space shuttle to go through all of these different environments, and the engineers are going to anticipate the challenges that that space shuttle is going to face in all those different types of environments there, they're going to build in solutions that are not due to the challenges, but precede the challenges. There's a major one. With creatures, their solutions precede the challenges. They're not due to the challenges. Evolutionary theory says, no, no, they're due to the challenges. Uh -uh. That would never work. And intuitively, no. You don't want to be on a space shuttle where the engineers have not built the solutions before the challenge. With a new, with a whole new, whole new way of explaining it, evolutionary theory is based on externalism, which means it looks at creatures as if the environment is shaping them. In fact, everything you see there in quotes are quotes from evolutionary literature. Wow. It sees them as passive organisms shaped by the vicissitudes of nature. And that because they're going with this random area, adaptations are undirected. And the changes are characterized as copious, in other words, trial and error. And so if you have a classroom full of students, some of them might have solutions to the problem, some of them don't. It's hit and miss trial and error. And in their view, change has to be very iterative, gradual, and linear, or as Darwin said, numerous successive slight modifications. I'm saying wrong, totally <laughs> wrong. Let's replace it with a system that looks at organisms as designed and purposefully adaptive. So instead of looking at the environment, we look at the systems and mechanisms innate, inherent to organisms. And we don't see organisms as passive modeling clay. We see organisms as the Lord Jesus made of active problem solving entities that take on challenges, solve those challenges and fill those niches. And rather than seeing adaptation as undirected, we see it as highly regulated. Rather than seeing it as trial and error and hit and miss, no, 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 no. We see targeted solutions with specific solutions to problems that are predictable, repeatable, and reversible. Rather than seeing numerous successive slight modifications, we see systems that are functionally coherent, which means they have all of the important elements of the system right from the get-go to do what they need to do, their changes, instead of being gradual or rapid, instead of being linear, they can, they can go faster, they can go slower. They do what they need to do to keep up with the environment. I think this chart 
I mean, this is presenting a whole new way of looking at creatures. And, and, rather, and you're going to give us examples of these creatures, exactly. right? I'll give you some examples here. They're coming right up here in just a sec. Well, before you do, guys on Facebook and YouTube, I got to let you go. But before you go, this information is available in article form and they've got video. Dr. Galusa, what would be the best video on this if they wanted to get a video from ICR? By the way, their website um, is icr.org, icr.org, incredible website. You have a specific video that would be the one that you would recommend on this? Yes, yes. We have a video called Darwin's Sacred Imposter. Perfect title. Perfect title. Well, guys, thanks for joining me. Uh, those of you here uh, as Creation members, we're going to keep on going because I want you to see the practical outworking of this in real life examples today. And your mind is going to be blown when you realize what we've seen actually happen in nature and how it's not slow, gradual. It's at actually functionally rapid. It's all these things that his model is demonstrating. And I want you to see those. Those of you on Facebook and YouTube, you guys can argue about it. God bless. I'll see you guys next week. Dr. Galuza, let's keep going, man, because you've ever wanted to have consistent growth into interesting conversations that help you understand the foundation of the Word of God and share that foundation with a lost world that desperately needs it. Let me invite you to become a Creation Today member. My name is Eric Hovind. I'm the president of Creation Today. We have conversations each week with special guests on a variety of topics that are both intriguing and help us to dig down deeper into God's Word. So if you've ever wanted to truly grow in your faith, let me encourage you to spend a year with me. We'll get 52 sessions together and you'll get to be a Creation Today member that gets access not only to every live event we do and have an opportunity to have discussions with the guests, but also everything we've done in the past. It's a great way for you and your family to grow your faith.